we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14 quite a bit today. Now, I'm going to go ahead and warn you. Uh, as you know, technology is good, but it's not always your friend, right? And so today, the words for the songs worked and the announcements worked, but the sermon did not work, all right? And so we're not going to be able to put everything on the screen as far as the sermon goes today. So you'll just have to follow along in your own Bible. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you can very quickly uh, turn, uh, download a Bible app on your phone, and you can look up the Bible right there. But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14 quite a bit today. We're going to be in the New Living Translation. Um, we're starting a brand new series today. It's called Into the Storm. Now, um, there's a there's a, a a farm up in Tennessee, a, a, a bison farm, a buffalo farm, and and they sell shirts that say "Into the Storm." And 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 I was looking back through my journal, and and I, I've seen that. And I was looking back through my journal, and 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 I found a place in my journal where I begin to write uh, about a storm in life. And as I began to write about the storm, I remembered that that buffalo farm has T-shirts that say "Into the Storm," and I thought, what is that? What does that mean? And so I began to do a little bit of research. And, and here's what I found out. I found out that out west where they have buffalo and they still have cattle and they have all these animals out west that are grazing animals and herd animals. One of the things that happens is that whenever a big snowstorm blows through, cattle will do something interesting. Cattle will hunker down and they'll huddle up and they just sit down and let the storm pass over them. But a bison is different. A bison, although genetically very similar to a cow, a bison is different. A bison instead, when a snow, snowstorm comes, a bison will walk straight through the storm. They will herd up and they'll just walk, they'll plow right through the storm. And the concept is, the idea is this, is that whenever you hunker down and just sit and let the storm come to you, you're actually more exposed than if you walk straight through the storm. Walking through the storm gets the storm over faster. And I got to thinking whenever I was writing in my journal about how often in life we face storms. As a matter of fact, I believe this, and I said this a couple of times recently, is that storms are inevitable. Storms are inevitable. You may not be in a storm right now. Right now, your life may be really good. It may be going fantastic. But let me tell you something. Next week or next month or next year, a storm is going to hit your life. There's going to be a storm in your finances. There's going to be a storm in your relationships. There's going to be a storm in your health. There's going to be a storm in your family. A storm will hit your life. And you've got to make up your mind how you're going to weather that storm. Are you going to be like a cow and hunker down and, and get in depression and discouragement and just sit and let the storm happen to you? Or are you going to be like the bison and you're going to go through the storm? It's a choice we have to make and we have to understand. Isaiah chapter 43, I say this every week, every verse. I say, oh, this is one of my favorite verses. Most of the time I'm saying that because it's my favorite verse in the moment. This one is legitimately one of my favorite verses. Isaiah 43, 1 and 2. It says this, But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you, says, this is important. I love this part right here. He says, He's calling out Israel, the country, but he's calling them by name. He calls them Jacob, 
talks about their past, calls them Israel, talks about their future. And and he says, the one who formed you, there's only one person that's going to help you through every storm. And it's the one who formed you. And he says this, do not be afraid for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Everybody say, I am his. That's important to remember when you're going through a storm. You got to know whose you are, right? Then in verse two, it says, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. A couple of things I want you to note from that, and then we'll get into Matthew 14. I want you to notice something. He says, when you go through, he doesn't say when you sit down in the storms of life. He doesn't say when you sit in the river, when you sit in the fire, when you sit in the water. He says when you go through the fire and through the water and through the flood. See, we need to understand something today. Storms are not meant to be sat in. Storms are meant to go through. And here's the other thing. He says when you go through, I will be with you. So we got to know that there's someone with us in the middle of the storm. We also have to know if you're going through something, that means there's another side to it. It doesn't mean that we're going to be in the storm the rest of our life. Yeah, but pastor, I've been in this storm for 20 years. It doesn't mean you're going to be in the storm for the rest of your life. There's another side to every storm and we just got to get to it. So that brings us to Matthew chapter 14. So I'm going to read Matthew 14. We're going to, we're going to skip some parts. I'm going to tell you some parts if that's okay. um, So that it's not as long. I'm going to start in verse 10, but let me set you up. So we shared this a little bit last week, I believe. Um, and, and it's funny, as I was developing, so I, I'll just be real with you, I'm not crazy smart. I'm not very smart at all. Um, my dad is like a walking Bible, right? You can have my, ask my dad any verse in the Bible, and he'll give you the book it's in, the chapter, and the verse. You ask me about a verse in the Bible, and I will Google it for you, Right? I'm just not that smart. I can't remember all that stuff. And so I was preparing this series back in my journal uh, weeks ago. And as I was going through the thoughts, I was like, ooh, and I, and I think this story would fit really good with this thought. And I thought, and this story would be really good. And then as I began to look up those stories, they were all in the same chapter. Isn't that crazy? It's funny how God works. And so, um, or how my brain doesn't work, right? So in Matthew chapter 14, we've got the story. We start off with the death of John the Baptist. And you got to know that John the Baptist and Jesus are cousins, okay? They're cousins, they're friends. Um, These guys are very close. So John the Baptist gets himself in a little bit of trouble because he's preaching the word of God. He's not holding back. He's upholding a standard of living. And the, the guys in charge didn't really care for that. So they killed John the Baptist. So we got to understand that. So in verse 10 is where we'll pick up. It says, so John was beheaded in prison and his head was brought on a tray and given to the girl who took it to her mother. That's a whole weird story. It's very terrible. You can read about it later. Later, John's disciples came for his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus what had happened. So I want you to put yourself in Jesus's sandals for a second, right? So here's what here's Jesus hears that his cousin, his friend has just been killed. He didn't die. Right. He didn't die. He was killed and and he was killed literally at a birthday party as a present for the king. And this is twisted stuff, twisted stuff. 
And so Jesus hears this. Can you imagine for a moment what it would be like to hear that your friend or your family member was killed in this manner? How heartbroken you would be? As soon as Jesus heard the news, verse 13, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. Yeah, that makes sense. That's what we would all do. I need to just be by myself, guys. If y'all could just leave me alone for a minute. I need to have a moment to myself. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. I'm going to pause there just for a second to go through the rest of it for you. So Jesus, in the middle of his grief, has ministry come upon him. Now, I'm going to talk about a storm later, but let me just point out for a second, this is a storm in and of itself. Jesus is dealing with a storm of loss and grief. And look, nobody else cares, right? Think about that for a minute. They're not being mean. It's just their life is still going. Their life is still happening. Jesus may be trying to pause and go be alone, but everybody's life is still happening. They all still have needs that need to be met. And so they're coming to Jesus to get their needs met. And Jesus, instead of being like, forget you guys, y'all don't know what I'm going through. No. Jesus says, you know what? This is what I was called to do. I can't put my calling on hold. I'm going to do my ministry. And then I'll take time to be alone. So Jesus steps out of the boat. This is then the story we're going to skip. It's the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And we talked about that last week. If you go back and listen to it, we talked about what generosity means. And and we talked about how the disciples fed the 5,000 people and got all the baskets back over and all that kind of stuff. So a great story, incredible story, feeding the 5,000. So they get done feeding the 5,000. And, um, and, and here's, we'll pick it up in verse 22. Immediately after this, so after everybody's eaten, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back in the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, verse 24, the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen. Everybody say storm. And they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. If you don't mind, let me just pray real quick. I don't always pray in the middle of a message, but let me just pray real quick. God, we just ask you right now to let your word come alive to us. The Bible says that your word is bread for the eater and seed for the sower. And so I pray right now that this word would be bread for us, that we would consume all that you have to teach us today. Not what I have to say, but what your word has to say for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's the thing. What are the disciples doing? The disciples are out. They're in the middle of a storm, as usual, right? They're in the middle of a storm. They're fighting the waves. At 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, Jesus comes walking on the water. Now there's another, there's another one of the writers. Uh, so this is Matthew, but in one of the other books of the, of the gospels, it says, and Jesus was going to pass them by. Like, like he wasn't even going to stop for them. Right. Which I think is hilarious that Jesus is like, you guys got it. You got a boat, you got oars. Y'all are good. Like you can figure it out. I'm going to the other side, but he stops and said, he's walking on the water to the disciples. And here's what I want to point out is that Jesus walks straight into the storm. He walks straight into the storm. He gets right in the middle of it. And I want to talk about why or how we can walk through the storm. 
And so I've got a couple of things that I'm going to, I'm going to preach over the next few weeks. Next week, I'm not going to be here. Dad's going to preach and he's going to talk about how your faith is not determined by your storm. Right. He's going to talk about how your faith is not that that sometimes people go through big uh, mountaintop experiences and some people go through low valley experiences. But that doesn't change your faith. And we'll, we'll talk about that next week. And I'm going to talk about two other things after that. But today I want to talk about the one thing Jesus did first is he practiced the presence of God. So if you're taking notes today, I want you to write down practice the presence of God. And you may think, well, that just sounds silly. Like, how do you practice the presence of God? It's this idea of when when I say practice, that becomes the most consistent thing I do. Think about this. We talked about football earlier, joking around, messing around. But, but you think about a football team. A football team practices more than they play. Right? You practice Monday. and two, What are we talking about? Practice? Uh, well, you practice Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. And you're going through walkthroughs and you're going through drills and you're going through workouts. Why? Because the game is coming up at the end of the week. The performance is coming up, but you got to practice before you get to the performance. So when I use the word practice today, I don't want you to think that I'm, I'm uh, pretending to do something with God's presence. No, no, no. It's not about pretending to do something with God's presence. It's about learning the daily habits that are necessary to get me through a storm later on. And so we talk about practicing the presence. Here's the thing about practicing his presence. Practicing, practicing his presence, I'm going to get tongue-tied in a minute, is cultivating intimacy with the Father. It's cultivating intimacy with the Father. Now, I know we got some kids in here today, so I'll be very careful with what I say. But here's the thing. In a, in a marriage relationship, if you don't cultivate intimacy with your spouse, what happens? You become roommates. Right. You live in the same house. You do the same things. But you just become roommates. You know each other, but you don't know each other. But there's something about whenever you cultivate intimacy in a relationship that it that it builds and strengthens the marriage. Right. The same is true with Father God. Jesus says in the book of Revelation, he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody will open the door, I will come in and I will eat with him. The, the idea of eating with someone is build a relationship, cultivate a relationship with them in an intimate sort of way, not in a sexual sort of way, in an intimate sort of way where I know you and you know me and we share, uh, we share a bond with each other. And Jesus says, this is what's important. We need to share a relationship with each other. And so we practice his presence. Practicing his presence is cultivating that intimacy with God that we all need. So let's get into how we do that. I'm going to give you three things, three ways we cultivate that intimacy, three ways we practice his presence. And then we'll talk about what happens in his presence and then we'll pray and then we'll go play. All right. That rhymed. So the number one way, the first way. And these kind of build on each other. The first way we practice the presence of God is we have to learn to be consistent. Be consistent. See, what we do a lot of times is we practice his presence when the storm is already hit. Right? So we, we, we are practicing his presence on these up and down movements. It's like, oh, there's a storm. Let me get in there and pray as much as I can. Oh, there's a storm. Let me start fasting and, and reading my Bible. Oh, there's a storm. Now I'm going to turn on worship music. No, no, no. That's not what it's all about. It's about being consistent day in and day out in our relationship with God, 
right? It's about being consistent. Um, as a matter of fact, the Bible says this in Luke twenty two thirty nine. 39. Uh, it says, and he came talking about Jesus. He came out and went as was his custom to the Mount of Olives and the disciples followed him. What he was doing was going to pray on the Mount of Olives. And it said that was his custom. It's what he did. Jesus was known for going off and praying. When, when, uh, when the Jews wanted to kill Jesus, when the priests wanted to kill Jesus, they wanted to arrest him. They didn't go find him at the temple. They didn't go find him healing people by the water. You know where they found him? They found him at his place of prayer. Why? Because he was consistent about going to his place of prayer. He was consistent. And, and, and the Bible says this, a couple of things. One, the Bible talks about a Sabbath. Now, Sabbath is, uh, it's, it's one of the 10 commandments, right? I think it's commandment number four. And it says, you know, keep the Sabbath day holy. We've all heard that and none of us obey it. Right. Especially in America. It's like the, it's yes, we don't want to commit adultery and we don't want to murder and we don't want to kill. Oh, but take a Sabbath day. No, I got too much stuff to do. Right. And we just figured that God's okay with the fact that we obey nine of the commandments and not 10. Can I tell you today? I don't know that he's okay with that. And now I'm preaching to myself. But there's this thing called the Sabbath that God instituted. God said this. He said, I worked for six days to create the world. I took the seventh day off. It was a Sabbath. It was a rest day. And he says, I want you to do the same thing. And, and what happened was, is the, the Jewish culture at the time became so religious about the Sabbath that, that, that they forgot the idea that it really was made for them. As a matter of fact, in Mark 2, uh, 27, Jesus said uh, that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was supposed to be one day per week, a consistent day per week for us as men and women to be able to rest, for us to be able to give back to God, for us to worship, for us to pray. God says, listen, I'm not asking for five hours a day. I'm asking you for a day a week. Can you give me a day a week? Why? Not for me, not for God. We don't, we don't change God with our Sabbath, but for you. How many of you ever felt run down and overwhelmed? How many of you ever felt so tired? We were, we were talking the other day about something and, and I said, it's, it's crazy how this has happened to our schedule, my, my wife and I, but, but we started looking back at our weekends and every weekend for like the past four weekends, there's been something happening. You know what I mean? And it's nothing bad. It's nothing, nothing terrible. As a matter of fact, but it's just one of those things. Like sometimes if you don't, if you don't purposely set the Sabbath, you won't ever set the Sabbath and your work and your um, kids uh, especially your kids, mostly your kids will take over your Sabbath, right? Those of you kids, you're like, amen, brother. Yes, yes. We are tired of volleyball. Um, so, so the Sabbath, uh, Sabbath is a day a week, but then there's this thing, there's this thing and y'all going to think I'm super weird and I, I get it. I know it sounds super weird what I'm about to say, but there's a term that's called the daily offices, the daily offices it sounds super weird. I know. It, and, it, and it's going to sound even weirder when I tell you that like old school monks are the ones that came up with it. Right. And, and so I understand it's weird, but here's the idea that these monks had. Uh, I, I read this book called Practicing the Presence of God. Uh, it's, it's a very old book, like 200 years old. 
kind of hard to read. And so um, that's why I listened to it. And so anyways, I was listening to this book. And one of the things this guy did is he just decided, I'm going to go spend some time with these monks and just see what their life is like. And he did. And when he did, he noticed something. He said these monks have daily offices that multiple times they have set times throughout their day where they stop whatever they're doing and they spend time in the presence of God. And he said it wasn't like, it's not like a big, um, you know, revelation and, and the sky opens and lightning strikes and smoke comes up. It wasn't like that. It was just moments in the day where they took time to spend time with God. And, and I want to I give you an idea today. Number one, you need to have a Sabbath in your life. You need to have a day that you set apart. And you may say, Gabriel, I don't have time to do a day. Okay, set aside five hours on a Saturday. Set aside three hours on a Sunday afternoon that you say, I'm not doing anything. I'm going to take a nap, Perry. She's going to do that today. I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to listen to some worship music. I'm going to go outside and experience uh, the, uh, God's creation. I'm going to do something besides work, check emails, check text messages. I'm going to do something besides get on my phone and check social media. I'm going to do something that's going to put me in the presence of God. And then the next thing I'm going to, I'm going to offer to you is to learn to develop daily offices where if, even if you just said, Hey, in the morning and at noon and in the evening, I'm going to take five to 10 minutes. That's it. Just five to 10 minutes to have a daily office with the Lord. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to get out my coffee. I don't drink coffee, but I'm going to sit down. I'm going to get out my little five hour energy. And, and as I sip it, I'm going to take some time and spend time with the Lord, right? Whatever the case is. Whatever the case is, you, you need to learn to take some moments throughout your day. And, and some of you say, yeah, but Gabriel, I work a job that doesn't allow, allow me to pray in the middle of my day. It doesn't allow me to just crank up worship music in the middle of my day. Remember I said five minutes, five minutes. You could go take a break for five minutes. You could go run out to your car for five minutes. And on your way out there, you could just pray and begin to thank God for all that he's done for you. Just learn to practice his presence in little moments throughout our day and then take one big chunk a week and call it your Sabbath. I think that's a good idea. So number one, be consistent. Number two, be still. Psalm 37, seven says this, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. I love it. They're not being still and that's okay. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret for their wicked schemes. As I read that, I thought, I'm not worried about evil people. But then it, got to, it, it hit me. What we don't do very often is we're very rarely being still before the Lord. And we might do nothing, but as soon as we turn this thing on and we start scrolling and flipping... And we start worrying about the president and we start worrying about the economy and we start worrying about the viruses and we start worrying about the monkeypox and we start worrying about the uh, game that we lost or the game that we won or we start worrying about all the things, all the things, right? That wasn't really even a joke, but it was kind of funny. Um, and we start worrying about all the things, what happens? It, Psalms says this, don't worry about evil people who prosper. I think if you look at this from a from a backup point of view, be still in the presence of the Lord, wait patiently for him and stop worrying about everything else. Take some time to be still. What does it mean to be still? It means to turn off and tune out distractions. Turn off your email, turn off your work, turn off your social media. One of the one of the cool things 
about some of this stuff, and, and I'll get into it really in the next one. But we're, we're entering into hunting season right now. And how many of you guys hunt? Or ladies? Ladies hunt too, right? Well, apparently none in here. Okay. So, and hunting for a dress doesn't count, babe. So, uh, that's not really hunting. Um, so, so whenever you go hunting, here's the, here's the one thing I love about hunting season versus any other time of year. Hunting season forces me to be still, right? If you're not still in the woods, you're not coming home with the deer, right? You got to be still, you got to sit. And, and here's the cool thing about being still in that moment, I can tune everything out and I'm sitting in God's creation and I'm enjoying what God has done. And it causes me to think, right? And that brings me to the next part. Be mindful. Be mindful. So be consistent. Be consistent. Then be still. And lastly, be mindful. Philippians 4, 6 through 9 says this. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. See, when we see a storm coming and we know a storm's going to come, we, we tend to get anxious and we tend to worry. and We tend to be fearful. Paul says this, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts. Be mindful. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. So what do we need to do? We need to be mindful. Being mindful means that I pray, I worship, I read, I listen, I I write, I remember, I meditate. I I, I take those things. and, and, And before you think, man, Gabriel has become a super hippie. He's talking about being mindful. He's talking about being still. He's talking about monks, right? And now he said meditate. Did you know in the Bible the word meditate is the same word? It comes from the, the same term of a cow chewing up its cud, right? You know how a cow will eat grass and then throw it back up in its mouth and chew it again and then swallow it and throw it back up and chew it again and then swallow it? It's pretty gross. Anybody want me to keep going with that? We're about to go eat chili today. Don't be meditating on chili. Um, anyways, anyway, that was stupid. Well, I don't even know why y'all are laughing. Um, Anyway, so, so the idea is this. When I take a piece of God's word and I continually think on it, I continually think on it. Maybe I write it down on a little card, I stick it in my pocket, and every time I reach in my pocket, I pull it out, and I'm like, man, that's a good verse. What does that mean to me today? Maybe, maybe it's Isaiah 43, 1 and 2, and, I, and every time I, I look at it, I just, all day I say, today I'm going to meditate on Isaiah 43, 2. What am I doing? I'm just regurgitating it, chewing it up, getting all of the nutrients out of it that I possibly can. I, I'm going through and I'm reading the part about that, that God is with me through every storm, and, and I just meditate on that. Man, God, you are with me through every storm, and it doesn't matter what the economy does, and it doesn't matter what, what uh, my boss says, and it doesn't matter what my kids do. God, you are with me in this storm, and you're going to help me get through this storm. Maybe I read the part uh, about going through the storm and I think, you know what? No matter how bad this is, God, there's another side to it. And I just begin to meditate on that all day long. Great practice to do in the deer stand. I'm just saying it's a great practice in the deer stand. We need to worship. Turn on worship music. 
Turn on, take those in those moments of consistency. Turn on worship music. Uh, write down. For me, I'm a writer. I'm not so much like when it comes to prayer time, I'm not really good at always articulating with my mouth. Um, instead, I love to write. And so I'll write down my prayers. And then it's cool to look back at my old prayers that I've written out and seeing how God's spoken to me or what God's done. So maybe you need to write. Maybe you need to listen to some stuff. Maybe you need to listen to stuff. Maybe you need to listen to a message. You need to, uh, one of the things I, I started doing lately, and I know it kind of sounds weird, but, but I, I started uh, on YouTube. I, I found a couple of places where I can find prayers. That other people are praying. And all they do is they take certain scriptures and they pray those scriptures. And I think, man, I listen to that. And, and I just let that kind of soak into my system. See, I can turn on TV and I can let that soak into my system. And that works. We were, I worked with a little kid when I worked at, uh, at a school in Hoover, and I worked with this little kid, and he came in one day, and, and we're trying to help him with his reading or something. And, and as he comes in, he begins to talk in a British accent, right? He talks in a British accent. And, and I was like, I looked at the, at the lady that was my boss, and I was like, why? Is he British? Are his parents British? And she goes, no, he watches a British cartoon show over and over and over and over, and now he speaks with a British accent. Doesn't matter what his parents do. Doesn't matter that he goes to a school with a bunch of mostly Americans. He watches the same cartoon over and over, and now he speaks with a British accent. And, and listen, that just shows you the power of what you consume. The power of what you consume can change how you act. So, so think about consuming better stuff, right? So anyways, those are the three things. And let me end with this. And the band's going to come up. We're going to sing a song. We're going to pray. So in a few minutes, we're going to pray. If you need prayer for anything... We want to pray with you. And some of you may say, yeah, but Gabriel, I'm not going through like a mega storm. Like it's not Katrina blowing in, right? It's not a hurricane. It's not a tornado. Maybe you're just going through a cloudy day. That's okay. We still want to pray with you because I believe in the power of prayer. I believe that 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 buffalo right there isn't going through this storm by himself. He has other buffalo with him, encouraging him, pushing him, helping him get through the storm. And that's what we want to do for you. Every Sunday, we want to just offer that help to you. So, so my last little thing I want to give you today is, is what happens when I'm in his presence. And I'm going to give you three verses. One is, is Acts 3, 19 and 20. Acts 3, 19 and 20 says, Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. And he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. The word there is refreshment, and the word refreshment there means uh, breath of life or fresh air. It means to be revived with breath. Have you ever been in a place in life where you had to hold your breath way too long? I was, I was swimming in a pool one time when I was a little kid, and as I was swimming in the pool, you know how kids do, we go all the way to the bottom, and then we try to come up as fast as we can because, you know, you're about to die. And so I'm swimming back up from the bottom, and as I did, I'm going to the ladder. Well, unbeknownst to me, there was another kid coming down the ladder as I'm going up the ladder, and he steps on me as I'm coming up. So he thinks he's stepping on the ladder, but instead he's stepping on my shoulders and he's steady trying to get in the water as I'm steady trying to get out of the water. And you look at me and you think that's a pretty skinny little guy. But when I was little, I was really skinny, even skinnier. I was like a little skeleton in the water. And this guy was just pushing me under, pushing me under. And then I start panicking and I'm starting to get afraid and I'm starting to get scared. And I remember, I thought, this is it. You know, I can see my little life pass before my eyes, but it was so short. It didn't take long. And I was just like, I'm going down. 
But I'll never forget the feeling when I came up out of the water. (gasps) I could breathe again. Sometimes when we're going through a storm, we're struggling in depression and discouragement, and it just weighs on us. I've been in that depression before, and it just feels like a heavy weight. It feels like you're just walking around with this heavy weight on your chest. I've got a I've got a weighted vest that I wear on a rare occasion to go running in. And I'll put that vest on and I'll run or I'll rope climb or I'll do pull-ups or push-ups. I'll do stuff to, to try to make things harder. And, I, and the feeling when you take that weight vest off, it's just like, oh, I can breathe again. But when you're going through a depression and a discouragement, it feels like that on your chest. So what happens when I get in the presence of God? I'm revived with fresh air again. I can breathe again. Exodus 33, 14 says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. The word rest there means a quiet mind. Have you ever been so discouraged and so depressed and so overwhelmed that you feel like your brain is just going a thousand miles an hour? And you can't slow it down. And you're just like, God, I just got, got, I'm thinking about everything. I'm thinking about, I'm stressing about work. And I'm stressing about home. And and, and my kids are doing this. And my my parents are doing that. And and I've got all this stuff at the house. And I've got, and your brain is going a million miles an hour. And God says, my presence will go with you. And I will give you a quiet mind. So he'll give you fresh breath. He'll give you a quiet mind. When? When you're in his presence. When you're taking those daily moments, five to ten minutes in the morning and at lunch and in the evening. When you're taking that Sabbath rest. When you're you're putting good things in your brain. When you're listening to scripture or the word. He'll give you a quiet mind. The last verse is this. And then I got one little story. Psalm 16 verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You make known to me the path of life in your presence. There's fullness of joy. Two things I pull out of that verse. The first one is the path of life. When I'm in his presence, I have a different perspective. When I'm in his presence, I have a different perspective. Instead of having a a temporary perspective, I have an eternal perspective. Instead of viewing everything that's happening to me right now as I'm just in the storm and all I can see is the storm, all of a sudden when I'm in his presence, I don't just see the storm, I see the other side. When, when Jesus is walking by the boat and he's going to pass them by, why is he going to pass them by? Because he doesn't even notice the storm. The storm is there and the storm is raging and the winds are, are, are pounding the, the, the boat and the waves are crashing in. And for Jesus, it's not about the storm. It's about the other side. And we need to have an eternal perspective. And I get that in his presence. But then the next thing it says is, is, is he gives me fullness of joy. An overflowing fullness means overflowing, abundant. And joy here is a cool word because joy is not the same as happy. Happy is circumstantial. I'm only happy when there's no waves, right? I'm happy when there's no waves. I'm happy when the sun's out. But when there's waves, I'm not happy anymore. And that's okay. You don't have to be happy. You don't have to be happy in a storm. Let me tell you what you need. You need joy in the storm. 
Because joy, although happiness is, is, is temporary, happy is circumstantial, joy is eternal. And, and joy is not based on what's happening around me. Joy is based on the Holy Spirit inside of me. The Bible says that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Joy is produced in us by God, by being in His presence. And that's how, even in the middle of the storm, I can still smile. I want to share one, one little illustration, and then I promise I'll be done. And I didn't know she'd be here today, but my mother-in-law's here today for the second week in a row, and probably will have to be here next week too. We're just kind of trapping her up here. And we went through a storm, and we're not going to always talk about this, but you know me, I talk about my life. And as a family, we went through a storm when my father-in-law passed away. And, and people were asking me, you know, how's the family doing? And I was like, yeah, you know, Perry's doing good. She's got her good days and her bad days. And, and the siblings are doing good. They've got ups and downs. And it's, it's, you know, it is what it is. And they, they would say, well, how's your mother-in-law doing? And I would say, literally, I'm like, look, I swear the woman's a robot. Like, I don't know how she does what she does. And I said, I said, she just, she just motors through this. And, and I'm not trying to elicit anything. It's just, this is what was in my journal. And I was, so I'm preaching my journal, but, but whenever, whenever my father-in-law is laying in the hospital bed, now I look over and I see my mother-in-law, she's not weeping. I mean, she would wipe a tear now and then she's not weeping. She's not breaking down. She's not blaming anybody. She's not upset at God. Instead, the whole time she's praying, she's quoting verses, she's singing worship songs. At one point, even the kids were all getting tired. And, and here we are supposed to be young and fit. And we're all tired of standing around in the room. And so people are going back and forth. And, and she's up there with, with her pastor and, and, and his wife and her sister on a phone. And, and they're, they are literally quoting scriptures and praying for like an hour and a half nonstop. And so when I was writing in my journal, I, I was just writing. I was like, how in the world? Do you go through a storm? She didn't sit and let the storm come to her. She walked through the storm. Now she'll be humble and she'll be like, oh no, it wasn't that, that way. And, but she'll be lying. Truth is, this is, I'm telling the exact truth. She walked through the storm. And here's what hit me. God showed me the only reason she walked through the storm the way she did is not because she's a robot and not because she's more spiritual than other people and not because she's a saint. It's because she practiced his presence before the storm ever hit. And if you knew my, my in-laws, if you know them, they practiced the presence of God. My father-in-law loved to read the word. He loved to pray. He loved to spend time in God's presence. My mother-in-law, loves to spend time in God's presence. That's how you get through a storm. You don't get through a storm when you start spending time in God's presence in the storm. I'm not saying it's too late, but you've missed an opportunity. You need to start right now. Why don't you stand up with me this morning?